Well, good morning and welcome into MCC. You guys feeling good today? Online folks, hanging in there? Got a cup of coffee? A blankie? Something? I, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing this Sunday morning, but I hope it's fun. I can see what all these people are doing, and, and 93% of them are paying attention. And um, I hope you click out of those cat videos and you just get ready because we're getting ready to dive in God's Word. Speaking of God's Word, grab a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5, that's right at the turn of the New Testament. Uh, right there is where we're going to be today. We're in a series called New Normal. We're walking through word by word, verse by verse, through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in this beginning section called the Beatitudes. And I'd love to read that together with us. Uh, if you've got a Bible, like I said, go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start right there at the beginning of chapter 5, starting verse 1. It'll be our main text today as we go through 1 through 7. We're going to camp out on verse 7 together. All right? So you got, hopefully you brought a Bible or you turned it on. It's got a full charge, and uh, let's dive in this together. If you're watching online, open up a Bible tab, grab a Bible. Let's do all that together. If you uh, need a little bit extra time, say, hold up. Nobody said it, so we're going to read. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 5. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's our verse for the day. We're going to read it one more time right there, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray, church. Jesus, before we go anywhere in prayer, We want to first humbly go before you and say thank you. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for the mercy that you have had on us that brought us into a moment like this. Father, we would all, if we we could even just see a percentage of the mercy that you have had on us, truly for what it is and truly for what it costs you, God, we would all bow down in humble reverence before you. And so, Jesus, I pray that today, by the preaching of your word, by being able to see who you are, see what you've done, see the magnitude of what we've done as well, that we all would come to a place where we understand just just what mercy has done for us and just what that mercy is calling us to do as well. Jesus, I know that um, in a room like this and on a Facebook page like this, a YouTube page like this, or a podcast like this, there are people listening who have doubts. And we praise you for those doubts. There are people listening who have wounds. And we praise you for those wounds. There are people listening who are angry, angry at church, angry at you. And we praise you for that. We praise you for the fact that despite all those things, they're here and they're listening and you brought them here. I don't believe you brought any of us here, whether it's the wounded, the angry, or the hurt, or those hungry, Jesus, those looking. You brought every single one of us here for a reason. And nowhere in that reason, Jesus, is to leave us the same way we came in. You want your gospel to change lives today, Jesus, and I pray you would remove me from any any hindrance that I would have and allowing your gospel to change lives the way that it can for the cynic, for the sinner, and for the saved. In your name, amen. All right, so we're diving in to these things called the Beatitudes. This is Jesus jumping into this world-changing 
life-altering sermon that is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And just to recap, as he goes into these things and as he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what he's doing in these is he's saying this is what the good life looks like. I don't know what you brought in or I don't know what you came from, but most every single person, whether you're a believer, you're kind of coming in questioning things, wherever you're at on the spectrum, all of us could kind of raise our hand and, and agree, we want to live the good life. And most of us in this room, we've tried to live like what the American dream or the American version or like whatever family version of the good life it was. And Jesus says, here's my good life. Here's the real good life. The one that comes from a good God who really does know everything about every human existence, knows how the world runs and, and operates because he's the one who runs and operates it. And these things are the good life. And this is the good life in Christ. Now, the Beatitudes, again, we've, we've explained this a little bit. They are not things that show you how to be saved. This is not a list or an order that we go into. It's like, well, I got to start here and then I go to this and then I go to this, this, this. Faith and faith alone. Faith is what saves us. Made that clear. Faith is what saves us. But what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, these are the elements of somebody's life that will show you that they are saved. You, you'll see these things lived out in the same way that you can't take the element of hydrogen out of water and still have water. You can't take the element of meekness. You can't take the element of poverty and spirit. You can't take the element of a hunger and thirst for righteousness and still say that you're a Christian. Because when you pull these things out, when those things don't exist, it calls into question the whole good life of someone who's given their life to God. And we, we've talked about in these things that they flow out of each other. So you begin in the first place is where Jesus started of saying that you come to this place of poverty in spirit. Realize I am poor, I am bankrupt, I cannot get to Jesus on my own. And then realize and receive the blessing because every one of these beatitudes is an attitude, is, is, a, is an act of being, an identity that's followed by a blessing, that's followed by a promise. He says when you get to the place where you realize just how poor and how broken you are, you're at a great spot because that's exactly the moment when you get the whole kingdom of God and the king included. Blessed are you when you mourn, when you realize that your sin that puts you in the place of poverty has stolen some things from you. But because of that mourning, because you are now weeping over what sin has stolen, you get comforted by a father who runs and encourages and wraps his arms around you. And as you get that comfort, now you come meek. You realize that all my effort and all my striving, all my trying to work my way into it was all failing, that I really never had what it took. But now his kingdom and his strength is working in me. And through that meekness, I now inherit the whole earth through surrender. And when I know that the earth is mine, I can hunger and thirst for his righteousness to be done on earth in and through me. And I have the promise that I will be filled. And here we come to our passage today. He says, blessed are those who are merciful. And this, you're noticing, is a shift. Because poverty in spirit, spiritual mourning, meekness, and a hunger and thirst for righteousness, what are all those things? They are all internal things. They're all things that, for the most part, not a lot of people can tell if those are going on in your life. But here, as we kind of come to this halfway mark of the Beatitudes, Jesus is shifting things and saying, okay, if those things are happening inside your life, and again, this whole walk of the Jesus follower life is something that is inside and then works outside. Now he's beginning, you'll watch this from this Beatitude to the end of them to now become things that, okay, if these things are happening at the beginning of your faith journey, you're the inside spiritual stuff, then in the outside, there's gonna be some things coming out. And the first thing he talks about is gonna be an outside thing coming 
is you being merciful. Merciful. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear mercy. What is it? When you hear mercy, what comes to mind? See, for me, I grew up on playgrounds, and I grew up in cul-de-sacs, and I grew up with a neighborhood full of stinky, sweaty boys. And so when I hear mercy, I think about locking hands with another dude in the neighborhood or, or a guy like at lunchtime and, or in a locker room somewhere and trying to do this thing where we try to break each other's cartilage and fingers out. I, re, I remember doing the things, you know, playing games like bloody knuckles. I remember, you know, being on the, on the, on the carpet at the house with my dad just having me in a headlock and saying, say uncle, say uncle. Like, that's what I think of when I think of mercy. And I'm sorry, ladies, if you're offended by that, but I'm, I'm gonna go on a fairly sturdy limb and just tell you about my own life story. I've never seen, and I was a student pastor for years, never saw two middle school girls playing bloody knuckles. Never saw two middle school girls playing slaps or mercy or any of that. Maybe you guys do, but you do it in sleepovers or something and we, we don't know when those things happen. But it is a dumb guy thing. Maybe if you watched, you know, Full House growing up, you remember Uncle Jesse, you know, he would say mercy, mercy, you know, I don't know. What do you think of? See, when we think about mercy, you know, maybe we can think about playing mercy as kids. And that's what comes to my mind. But just in the same way that mercy was, you either had to be really brave or really dumb to play. Mercy for grownups is also risky, and the mercy game is something that is kind of dangerous entering into as a grown-up. And it's, again, it's not like bending your coworkers' fingers backwards. I'm talking about the mercy that it takes to forgive. The mercy that it takes to be honest enough to say that you hurt me, but I'm not going to let it hurt us. That is a whole different thing. See, in our society, when we, thought, when we think about mercy... And we think about what somebody has done wrong to us. All of us in this room can agree that all of us have had something go wrong. We've had somebody do something wrong to us. A lot of you in this room, you've been maybe following Jesus for a while. And you can even think of Christians, like people who said they were following Jesus, who did things that were wrong to you. Like I could take a mic and we could just pass it around. We could spend the rest of our hour together just talking about how people have hurt us, how people have slandered us and said things about us that, just weren't true. They believed a lie that somebody else told them. It was kind of like a really bad game of telephone, but instead of a little message, it was our character that got worse and worse and worse and worse as it went down the line. Some of you have been stabbed in the back by family members, close friends. Some of you have been overlooked or eliminated at workplaces. Some of you have had marriages fall apart and you felt like you were doing everything you could to keep it apart keep it together. You, you felt like you were doing everything, that you were really bringing your best to it, but your best just wasn't enough for them. And it feels like you've been punched in your soul. Many of you grew up without a father. You feel like you have been given a life, but you don't really have this GPS to navigate life that a father's supposed to be to help you to say, hey, avoid this or do this or don't do this. And here's how you change a flat tire. And here's how you navigate these things. See, we have a lot in common with the people who would have heard this original message in this original context from Jesus. Remember, Jesus is talking to a group of people who had been qualified and quantified as the Anawim. The Anawim was a word that they would use for the sect of people who were the have-nots. It was the throwaway people, scum of the earth. 
If you go back to chapter four, right, the last half of chapter four, Jesus, we see how he builds a crowd of these people, people who were crippled, people who were sick, people who were demon possessed, people who were kind of ostracized in society, kind of the left out, the marginalized people. They follow Jesus to this hillside in Galilee where Jesus says, hey, everybody sit down. I'm about to change everything. They're the ones who follow him there. And these would have been women who had just escaped potentially from a life of prostitution. These had been men and women who had just had Jesus cast demons out of them. This would have been men and women who had spent their whole entire life up to this point, sitting on the side of the road, begging for people to have mercy on them and give them enough money so that they could put food in their stomachs. And now Jesus healed their infirmities, made legs walk, and they've chosen to follow him to this hillside in Galilee. And so we have a lot in common with these people. So much so that I believe it would be a huge missed opportunity if we didn't learn what Jesus is trying to teach us. But I want you to hear it land the way it landed for them. And to do that, you gotta go back to the first beatitude. Remember, this is a crowd full of people left out, broken, abandoned, throwaway people, definitely the have-nots. And Jesus comes out of the gate swinging, swinging in a way that really helps them saying, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. And they're going, I feel that. That's me. Amen. And he says, blessed are you who mourn, for you'll be comforted. And they wipe away some tears and go, amen. That's me. I'm mourning. He says, blessed are those who are meek. And they're going, amen. Yes, I've been overlooked. I've been abandoned. I'm, I'm meek. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And again, amen. I've been done wrong. I want things to be made right. And then Jesus says, and blessed are the merciful. And they're going, no, I don't like that. I've been taken advantage of. I've been prostituted. I've been abused. I've been marginalized. I've been picked on. I've been ostracized. I've been the butt of so many jokes. I've been taken advantage of. No, I don't want to be merciful. And that's the ears that it lands on. And maybe it lands that way for us too. Because we've been there. We've felt that. We've had people do wrong things to us. And most of the time when people do wrong to us, we either swing one or two ways. Most of the time we swing towards apathy, if I'm honest. We swing towards apathy, which just says, that didn't hurt me. I'm just never going to eat at Cheddar's again. Hmm. Cheddar's is dead to me. I don't like that place. I, it's, well, I, I move on. Who cares? Maybe on a serious note, you know, well, they didn't show up for the event or they didn't come to the thing that they were invited to, so I'm going to never invite them to anything ever again. They're dead. That apathy. Who cares? And this is the, the, the battle cry of millennial and Gen Z males for the most part. It's a, it's a race to see who can care the less. Oh, I don't care. Who cares? I don't give a... You just hang around them for a little while. You'll hear that a lot. Listen to their music. You'll hear that a lot. I don't care. The other side, where it swings, from apathy, when somebody does something wrong, just sweep it under the rug. I don't care. Just, it wasn't that big a deal. Whatever. Who cares? Bump them. It swings all the way from apathy to vengeance. And this is where we do want to get even. Where it's not just enough to never eat at Cheddar's again. I'm going to blast them on Google reviews. It's not just enough to have this, this employer 
do something wrong to me, I'm going to go to Glassdoor or Jobs.com and I'm going to roast them over the coals and I'm going to flip over my desk on my way out. I'm going to make sure this guy who walked out on my family, I'm going to make sure his kids have the worst opinion of him that they ever could because any chance I get, I'm going to talk about how much of a low-down, dirty scoundrel he is so that they hate him too. See, that's usually where we go. But neither of those are mercy. See, mercy is a lot different. Mercy, I would define like this. It's an internal thing first, it's an attitude, but it turns out into an action. Mercy is an attitude of compassion and an action of kindness towards the undeserving. Again, it's an attitude of compassion. Again, it has to start on the inside. Mercy is an attitude of compassion that says, I, I, I understand, I have a little bit of empathy for what you're going through, what you've done. I, I get it, I'm not agreeing with it, I understand it though. It's an attitude of compassion that leads to a place you're willing to do an act of kindness even though they're undeserving. So the hard part of mercy is it has nothing to do with how much somebody deserves it. Now, one of the things I've encouraged some people to do as I've had conversations around this, I would encourage you to do too, is to pray through these beatitudes. You know, a lot of times we talk about reading our Bible and then praying. I read and then I pray. One of the things you can do is put those two bad boys together and, and read and pray the same things. So I'm reading the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus, help me to mourn over my sin. I'm reading. Jesus, help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But here's what I'm going to warn you on. When you come to the place when you find merciful, when you begin to pray that Beatitude, which I would, I would be, I'm just going to warn you. Some of you aren't brave enough yet to pray this. Because when you pray, God, help me be merciful you will never know how merciful you are when people are treating you well. You only find out how merciful you are when people do you wrong. And so it's, it's like asking to go get a stress test at the hospital. Jesus, put me on that bike, strap all these nodes and things and put this thing in my mouth and, and, and put me through it so that I can see if there's something wrong. That's what asking to be merciful is all about. And so the question today that I want to walk us through is, how in the world do we become merciful? How do we become merciful like Jesus was merciful? What in the world does this even begin to look like? I think the first aspect, if if we're ever going to be merciful people, is we've got to understand our own story. We've got to understand how much mercy has been poured out on us. We've got to understand what mercy is. We're going to walk through that. The first thing, though, is we have to understand our story. You have a story, right? A lot of times we like to put snapshots and little pictures up of our lives and everything else, but you will have a story. And right now you're in a chapter of that story. You are a grand narrative, a story that God is writing. And you were created by God for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says you're his workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance for you. The problem in that though is we have this thing in our lives called sin because we have a wicked and jacked up flesh and you don't have to work at it it just is that way and what happens there because of our sin and our rebellion we are now at debt we owe God who's a righteous loving holy God because of our sin we are at debt and we owe him yet God in an insane act of mercy does what we see in Romans 5 8 if you got a Bible I invite you to go there if you don't have one it's gonna be on the screens look at what it says that while we were in debt while we owed God this happened Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, all right, before we got our act together, before we came to church four weeks in a row, before any of that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Now, I absolutely love this verse. I love all of it together. But my favorite word in this verse is not love. My favorite word is not Christ. My favorite word is not God. My favorite word in this whole verse is while, while we were still sinners, while God saw me as is, accepts me as is, loves me as is, saves me as is, and yet by his grace makes a decision to never leave me as is. That is what's amazing. That's mercy. That while we were still sinners, while we were enemies with him, he came in and stepped in and did that for us while you were a sinner. And so it's crazy for us, like when we think about, okay, I want to have mercy on other people to skip right over the fact that we've been given this giant plethora of mercy in our own lives by a God who is perfect. And so if we want to be mercy, we've got to know our story. But the other side of that, because mercy is a two-way street, we've got to know the story of the person who we would be merciful to. Because just like you have a story, friend, they have a story as well. Like teenagers in the room, listen, like you, you get mad at your parents. Listen, they got a story. And there's things that they're working through and there's things that they're navigating through. I mean, I, I guess I could, everybody in here has, has parents you're dealing with. Some of them, you're like getting, maybe some of you older people in the room, you're getting ready to move parents back into the house. And you're like, man, I, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with all those things. It's going to bring up some of these old things. Everybody's got a story though. That person at your work who gets on your ever-loving nerves, they got a story. That boss, he's got a story. Some people have stories that are hidden. Some people have stories that are pretty obvious, but everybody has a story. And we like to see their snapshots and we like to judge them off of the snapshot moment where they sinned against us. But I pray that God will help us show compassion and know that behind the sin, there's a story always. And again, it doesn't sweep the sin under the rug. It doesn't make the sin any less bad. But when you know the story, it opens the door for mercy to be able to come in. And I love that we have a God who doesn't try to make us manufacture mercy. Like we don't have a God who's like, listen, I know people ticked you off. I know people did you wrong. Just, just act like you're cool with them. Just, just, do, just, man, man, just be nice. Just, just get along. But we have a God who says, actually, the type of mercy that I'm requiring you to show to other people is something that you never could show to other people unless you have first experienced it from me. It's only through my mercy flowing through you that they will ever experience what real mercy actually is. It'll just be this face, fake kind of made up stuff that you'll do to keep the peace at work or at home or in a marriage or at a church. But I love this verse and I invite you really, if you have a Bible to go there, uh, underline it, uh, do something. Ephesians 2, verse four and five. This is a verse that has been the uh, verse of the week for me as I've been studying through this and preparing my heart to allow the gospel to meet yours. Ephesians 2, four through five. So, so good. Let's read it. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Let's, pump, let's, 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 let's figure out what we're actually reading here, okay? But God, because of his great love for us, okay? So there's God out there. This is, this, this is good news. There's a God out there who loves you. And not just like, I love you. I put up with you, but like great love. And here's what you need to know, because there is a great love, that great love is inextricably connected 
to mercy. Because our great God cannot be both all-knowing and all-loving of people like me and you and not have mercy. (laughs) He sees everything. He knows everything. Every thought. Every car ride where you were the only one in there, you weren't the only one in there. Every thought he heard. Everything he knows. But here's what's beautiful. And some of you, I'm praying that you begin to believe this. He is both all-knowing and all loving. And because of those two things, he has to be incredibly rich in mercy because you mess up. You screw up. We do. We mess up a lot. But he's still all loving and he's still merciful. And so those two things go together. It says he's rich in mercy. Now, when we read a verse like that, we think, okay, well, he's rich in mercy, which means he forgives And he moves on. And because he loves me unconditionally, he sees my mistakes, he sees my sins, he kind of just dismisses those because that's kind of what has to happen there. Like the same way I love my kids. I see them, I see their mistakes they make. And because I love them so much, I don't throw them, kick them out of my house when they're disrespectful to their mama. There's some things you just kind of have to overlook and work through. But what I want you to understand, and there's this, this false gospel that's out there that says God loves you so much, he just looks past all of that. He doesn't look past it. He's still incredibly angry. He's still, he's still incredibly frustrated. It still breaks his heart. And he didn't just dismiss those sins. He didn't just dismiss those negative thoughts. He didn't just dismiss the racism. He didn't just dismiss and sweep all those things under the rug where we continue to get mercy after mercy after mercy and patience after patience after patience. Jesus on the cross got God's wrath. He got the punishment. It'd be like if both of my kids were downstairs and one of them was incredibly disrespectful to his mama and just smarted off to her and said something that was incredibly rude to her and I took the one who said nothing and I said, hey, you're getting the spanking that your brother deserves. That's what happened between you and your brother Christ who was perfect. It's not that things are just swept under the rug. It's not that they're gone. It's that they're on him. He put them on the cross Now, you hear a a word in there like, he says, God who is rich in mercy, okay? So if we believe that God is Father, all right, that's that's one of the foundational things to a Christian belief is that God is Father, Jesus is Son, Holy Spirit is, is, is the Spirit of Christ indwelling in us right now, living out in our lives. But if God is Father, just walk with me here. God is Father and he's rich in mercy. So that means you got a rich daddy, in mercy. Are you in your life experiencing that? Let's just be honest. Are you experiencing the riches of God's mercy right now? Now, I know your church answer is like, yes, Pastor Trent, I'm experiencing the riches of God's mercy. <laughs> Hallelujah. But here's what I mean when I really ask that question. Think about if your father, earthly father, was rich in watermelons. Stay with me. Your father is rich in watermelons, which means he just got a bumper crop after bumper crop of watermelons. Like he's selling them on every street corner there is, watermelons for days. Your father is rich in watermelons. When I asked you if you feel rich in God's mercy, you kind of had to think about it, didn't you? But if your father, like your earthly dad, is rich in watermelons, you don't have to think about watermelons, do you? They're on your plate every night for dessert. Like watermelons are everywhere. Or, or you call, hey, hey, dad, what you doing? 
selling watermelons. Like, I got a lot of them. I got to sell them. Like, it's unavoidable that watermelons are a part of your life. And so my question, when I ask, are you experiencing the riches of God's mercy? I'm asking, are you experiencing the riches of God's mercy in your life in a way that is completely obvious and unavoidable? Like, you just continue to stumble into it. You can't help but bang into the mercy of your Father God. Are you experiencing it like that? Most of us will go, I don't, I don't think I'm experiencing it like that. Here's why. When we think about being rich in something, we think about our life getting something. But that's counterintuitive to what mercy is. Mercy, mercy is really God withholding the negative things that you should have gotten. And so you'll never find mercy looking just at your own life. The only way to find mercy is to take your eyes off your own self and say, well, I want to, I want to see God's mercy in my life. Well, quit looking at your life and look at Christ giving his life on the cross. That is where you'll see his mercy. And so when he says, you got a rich father in heaven, you got a father who's rich in mercy, that implies that us as this whole blood-bought family, me, you, Jesus, our brother, Jesus in heaven, that we're continually in the home of faith, looking at Jesus going, oh, there's rich in mercy. There's rich in mercy. I'm continuing to bump into rich in mercy because I'm continuing to see what he did for me on the cross and how he took all my punishment for every sin I ever committed, paid all the price, took all that punishment, and still continues to love me. That's the riches of his mercy. Now, when we talk about the riches of God's mercy, it's not just the sins that you did commit and the punishment that was circumvented from your life that went to Christ that he now has. He took on the cross. This is what, this is, some of us have spent our lives believing a half gospel. The other side of that coin and the other aspect of God's mercy is that there are an unimaginable amount of sins that you would have committed if it had not been by God's mercy that you didn't face that temptation. Do you know what I'm saying? That, that, like, I can't imagine the sins I would have succumbed to had I actually been faced with them in weak moments. Like we have no idea the onslaught of temptation that God just every day, like God and angels and everything else just going on in the spiritual world, that God is just continually like, just like uh, um, one of those blinders on a horse. Like we're walking through stuff and I think there are sometimes like angels or God or whoever are just going like, they're just hitting us in the face. Boom, don't look at that. Say, nope, you're not staying at that hotel on this business trip. I'm gonna put you over here because if you stayed over there, she'd knock on your door. Nope, I'm not letting you get that job. Some of you are whining and complaining about God not giving me this job. God knows what he's doing. And, and this is where it bubbles out of just our life. So mercy is not just me having mercy. He said, blessed are the merciful. So it's not just something I do, it's who I am. But if I'm gonna be merciful, I've gotta be merciful to who? To other people. I think when we miss out on this reality, we miss out on a key ingredient to actually be merciful to people. It's that we don't know what got them to the thing we're judging them on, even the sin against us. We don't know their whole story. It's easy to judge somebody at the point of their sin. It's easy to walk by the homeless person and go, just get your crud together, man. Everybody's hiring. Some of you have said that. Everybody, like, there's no excuse for you to still be begging for money, man. Everybody's hiring. 
We don't know the whole story. You don't. I've watched this happen. It makes it to where, like, I don't thank God for the sins he's protected me of, but I judge other people who face a sin that I would have probably fallen to too. Like, it's easy to say, well, I would never blow up my whole marriage for a one-night stand. But you've never had that girl come on to you at the bar and say, hey, let's, let's go to my room. You never had that happen. Like you see the, the person who's in and out of rehab and is, is continuing to steal money from their family and is, 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 is struggling with, well, it's, it's, this week it's, it's meth, this week it's heroin, this week it's this. And you just, you just know, you're like, ah. But you weren't there when they were in middle school and, and they walked in on their dad shooting up and he offered them half of Oxycontin not to tell anybody. And that's a true story. You, you weren't there when the person who you now judge as an alcoholic and who you know, you know, hurt somebody in a, a DUI or, or did something wrong. And again, I'm not sweeping these things under the rug. I'm just asking us to be people who actually have mercy. We weren't there when as a fourth grader, their grandpa who they adored would pick him up from school in his Ford F100 with homemade moonshine under the bench seat and offer him a sip every day. And that's my dad's story. You, you, you can see the, the woman who you know is a prostitute. You, we all been downtown. You can kind of tell. Or you, can see, or you can see the woman just who's gone from divorce to divorce to divorce. Maybe you call her a gold digger. You call her the things. You and your girlfriends, you kind of know her. You hope she doesn't show up to the things. You, you hope that your kid and her kid aren't on the same baseball team. But what you don't know is when she's a little girl, she was molested by somebody who's part of her family. So she spent the rest of her life trying to cover up that wound, trying to heal from those things. See, it's really easy to judge people at the place that we see that sin has gotten them. And we completely overlook all of the moments that led to that. Everybody's, everybody's got a story. And what we would look at in the moment of those sins, like in the, as they keep going, happening like in the present moment, we look at those things and we go, why do you keep making that decision? Like at some point you can just stop. And we don't realize that where that sin began, it seemed like the only choice. When that little girl got shoved into a closet, she didn't have a choice. When your grandpa invites you to do this, you're gonna do it. When your dad gives you this, you're probably going to do it. So I find myself more and more and more seeking to learn the story. Again, not to dismiss the sin, not to make it any less than what it is, but to go, friend, how'd you get here? It helps me be merciful to know that, man, nobody, <laughs> yourself included, nobody falls into sin. Everybody slides. And some of you are sliding already. Like you, some of you are in this room and like the thing you were saying, this has never happened. I'll never, ever, ever in a million years do that. You're sliding towards it. Nobody knows those passwords. Nobody's asking you the hard questions. You got free reign. You're sliding. And my prayer is that 
you'd wake up. For all of us, if we're going to be people who are merciful, if we're going to be people who see how much grace God has given us, both in the sin that we have committed and the circumvented punishment for that, and the protection, divine protection, from the sins we would have committed, which also encompasses protection from all those things you didn't commit, then we've got to be people who now look at our own lives and go, okay, I can have some mercy. Okay, I can let not things slide, but I can let my heart write a different story, one that is more trusting. I think we sometimes can misunderstand what grace and what mercy are actually. And so I want to give you something I think, and again, this is not all encompassing both of these. I, I said this earlier in this, you know, this series is that I could spend years and years, and I'm so thankful that we don't have a God who big, massive concepts about who he is, like grace and mercy, I can just help you understand in a pithy slide, okay? Like, I'm gonna do my best, though, to give you things that can give you handles to hold on to those things, and it's kind of like I'm gonna help open up the treasure chest, and we're gonna continue to search through the treasure chest of God's mercy and God's grace, and every now and then, I'm gonna try to pull out a little uh, coin from God's word, and you're, you're gonna get to read it, but again, we're gonna put that back, and we're gonna continue. We'll spend the rest of our lives searching out the treasure trove that is God's grace and God's mercy, but here's something I want to give you that hopefully helps explain what these actually are. God's grace is him giving you something most of the time positive or good that you did not deserve. That's a spouse, that's a, that husband's, that's a wife who puts food on the table when you walk in the door, man. That is some grace, fellas. That you just walk in and there's just magically food. That you just open up your underwear drawer and there's magically clean underwear. That's God's grace. And some of you, you need to thank God for that grace a little more often. And I'm included in there with you. Grace is the fact that you're able to live in a place like America, where you can get a job, where you can come to a church and worship in, in, in person, where you can do these things. Grace is, is every dollar that you have in your bank account is the grace of God given to you to steward well. That's grace. It's the bigger than that. It's the forgiveness of Christ, the availability to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's the grace of God. Now, mercy, mercy is God not giving you something positive that you did not deserve. Mercy is God withholding something, usually negative, that you do deserve. Again, that's the wrath. That's the punishment. And he, again, he did not just withhold that and just leave it in an account. That account had to be drained or God would not be a just God. So Jesus takes the full punishment so the God can still be just and you can still be forgiven. Now, out of all this, we come to the place where there is a promise. Okay, so blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. All right, it's a cyclical one, all right? So I, I am blessed when I give mercy, and then I receive it. Now, what mercy is, is not talking about here as the promise, it's not the promise in the way of saying, you get the mercy to salvation. Like you don't get God's punishment to, to do this. So it's not saying, blessed are the merciful so, so that their eternity is secure. That you, your salvation is not contingent on you being merciful. Your salvation is contingent on your faith in Christ and that's it. But he's saying, mercy is not what saves you, but you being merciful is one of the ways that you can tell that you are in fact saved. That's what this means. Do you want to tell us somebody's saved? Do you want to tell us somebody has actually had a relationship or had an encounter with a risen Jesus who washed away all their sins? One of the ways you can tell you're actually having an encounter with that person is they are actually merciful. 
The way I would say it is this, how much mercy you show is determined by how much mercy you know. How much mercy you show in this life is determined by how much mercy you know. And you know that mercy, you find that mercy, you see that mercy, you savor that mercy, not by coming to church, but by looking to the cross. That's where you see mercy and the riches of God's mercy. There on the cross, Jesus crying out, it is finished. There's a verse that I want to show you guys that is really my one point of application today. So I'm sorry if you're like, hey, just tell me what to do. Like, I'm only going to tell you one thing to do. It's probably a, sometimes I think anybody else just feel like I can only handle one thing. <laughs> like just one thing. Give me a week to do one thing. Here's, here's your live this out one thing this whole entire week. It's very, very simple. Believe the best about people. We live in cancel culture. Believe the best about people. I mean, what would it look like if you were the one person at your work, when everybody starts railing on so-and-so, you, started to, you were the one person who vocally began to believe the best about them? What about your kid? You just began to believe the best about them. You believe the best. Your spouse, believe the best. Believe the best. There's a verse that I think definitely helps us with this. Ephesians 4.2. I love the way that the NLT kind of paraphrases it. It says, always be humble and gentle, which DQ'd all of us instantly. Always be humble and gentle. We struggle with those. Well, again, that's what we're aiming at though. Because of Jesus, we can be that way. Be humble and gentle. Then he says, be patient, which again, don't pray for patience. You'll get a flat tire. But he says, be patient with each other, which again, it's kind of like saying, you're gonna get a relationship flat tire. People are gonna frustrate you. People are going to tick you off. Be patient with each other. Paul's writing this. He knows that's happening, even in churches. Be patient with each other. And here's how he gets, and this is where so many of us, like, we're just like, I just want to be more patient with my spouse. I just want to be more patient with my kids. Here's why you still haven't been able to do that. It's because you haven't done these next two words. You haven't made allowances. You can't be patient with somebody that you're not, you have this unrealistic expectation. They're going to be perfect. You're not going to be able to be patient with somebody you're expecting to be perfect. That's not going to happen. There has to be some allowances made. What this means is we have to be realistic. They are broken, fallen, messed up humans just like me. I have to be realistic. He says, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So when you've got a meeting with somebody in Henry County and they show up five minutes late, you don't go they just don't respect me. They don't, they don't value my time. You go, this is planet Earth and Henry County. They're five minutes late. They still love me. They still respect me. Trains go here through, through here like every 15 minutes. They probably got caught by one of them. Just make allowances. And here's why. Make allowances, not because you want to keep the peace, not because you want to be someone who gets a promotion so you don't want to stir the pot. We make allowances for each other's faults. Look at the last two words there. Because of your love. And so really the start place is not making the allowances. The start place is love. Because I love you. Husbands, because you love your wife. You want a great marriage? Nobody ever talks about this. You want a great marriage? Make allowance for them doing dumb stuff. You want a great relationship with your kids? Out of love, make an allowance for them to mess some things up. Release them from the pressure of being a little God. 
I'm making allowances. You're not perfect. I'm not expecting you perfect. I love you enough to make allowances for the jacked up things you're going to do and the hurtful things that you're going to say because at the end of the day, I think that my love for you and God's love for us will overcome that. That's mercy on display. I pray, man. I, I pray your, your parents in the room. And there's a question to go in. If, like if you've got a spouse or even if you're, you know, separated and you're, you're doing the blended family, maybe ask this question like, what would it look like for our kids to grow up in a merciful home? You're married. What would it look like for us to have a merciful marriage? You're a coworker. Like almost everybody in here probably has a job or moving towards some of that. Like what would it look like? Um, what would happen if I became the most merciful employee at work? I'm willing to bet good things would happen because Jesus said, blessed, good life, highest form of joy possible you'll experience when you do this. I'm gonna end today with one of my favorite verses. If you've heard nothing else, I think you can be okay with just this verse. This verse sums up everything I've said in the way that only the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit could. It's Titus 3, verses four through seven. So rich. Spend your rest of your week just figuring out what in the world this really means. You'll be better for it. Titus 3, four through seven. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, the kindness and love of our God is the man named Jesus. When he appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Now, if I was writing the Bible that day, I'm a little more snarky than Paul is, I would have put parentheses right there and right after it says, not because of the righteous things we had done, I would just put parentheses and said, because there ain't any. So because of the righteous things we had done, which aren't righteous, but because of his, there's our word, mercy, which is, is ironic, right? The beatitude before this was hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's only through God's righteousness that you would come to a place where you experience mercy. Not because of our righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. He is alluding wholeheartedly to baptism right there. Six, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. As we end today, I want to talk to the person who has never put their faith and trust in Christ. And I want you to know right now, like if you've never done that, you currently are experiencing the mercy of God. And it's the breath in your lungs. Because of your, I just, the hard truth that maybe you're not gonna hear at a lot of places because it's maybe a little too hard. God is fully just for you if you're outside of faith in him and his son to give you nothing because you've sinned against him. It doesn't bring him joy, it doesn't make him happy, it doesn't make any of us who know Jesus and trust in Jesus happy. But the breath in your lungs right now is the mercy of God. And you're experiencing it he wants to lead you to a place where you now receive that mercy and that mercy comes to the place where you put your faith in Christ and God pours out his mercy on you and pours out his punishment on Jesus as you now accept what's been done 
you come to faith. And then what happens in this verse happens in your life. Your old life is washed away through baptisms and you're raised up and filled with the Holy Spirit to live out the blessed life. And if you're here and you never gave your life to Christ, you've never been baptized, I wanna invite you into that this moment. There's a next step card right there in a chair in front of you. Fill that out. At the end of the service, you can put that back there. You don't even, you, I, I'd love to talk to you about that, but you, we can just, you fill it out. We'll be in touch. We'll work through that together. Because I believe God is moving in your heart. He's working in your heart. He wants his mercy to not just be something that you experience and don't realize, but to be something that overwhelms you and opens up the keys to your life that you've never experienced yet because it's his love at work. For everybody else, during this time, we're gonna receive communion. And as you do, I, I pray that you realize that as you taste this wafer and as you taste the juice, that it's God's mercy on display through the broken body of Christ, through the poured out blood of Christ. It's him saying to you, this is what I was willing to go through. This is what mercy cost me. I'm still rich in it. And I pray you experience everything in it today. And as you sit there, be remiss if I didn't say this, let Jesus bring to mind the person you need to be merciful to. Don't, don't dare come and sit in this moment and thank him for the mercy that he's given you and expect him not to ask you to do the same. You, you, you just make it all a farce if you're not willing to do what he's done to you. And when that one person comes to mind, you gotta stick with them. Because I've been there, I've been, on, I've been on the other end of the sermon and God says, think about that one person you're supposed to be merciful to. And we, they, well, they come to mind and we go, nope. And we go to the next one, right? You're not allowed to do that today. Go to that one and stay with that one. Let's pray. Jesus, have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on us, sinners. Saved by grace, hopefully. Come into grace, hopefully. Have mercy on us draws to you. In your name, amen.